Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. What's up, guys? It's Tommy from Tommy's Podcast. Do you have a podcast? Do you want it censored? Then go to YouTube. Go to Reddit. Go to iTunes. If you don't want it censored, go to Spotify or Rumble. But Spotify pays me more than Rumble, so I'm going to record this ad for them. You can upload it. Trust me. Whether you got a crappy podcast on a on a MacBook above your parents' garage and it's echoing and everyone can hear the despair and desperation and every syllable you try to eke out without wanting to cry... Or whether your podcast starts to actually make a couple shekels and you got a cool apartment and an air conditioner that works most of the time. Use Spotify. Use Spotify for podcasters. Yeah, you'll start off getting a couple pennies, but I'm several years into it now and I've made, I don't know, I think about a thousand bucks. It's better than nothing. It's better than working at a liquor store with people you hate, with customers you hate, and a boss that hates you. So join Spotify for podcasters and you'll actually start making money. It's worked some it's worked for me. I'm really tired. And we are recording with Mr. Michael Vecchione. And we are back on this podcast after ten days off, finally feeling refreshed on day ten. I don't think I felt refreshed until this morning. And what other way would we be getting back into it than having on Mike? And what what's today's story? Well, it's a it's about a it's about a, a gold digger. Uh, oh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no. the, it's the brutal dark story. It's the first day back on the podcast. Yesterday's Easter. Had had lunch with my parents, and I'm like, let's do this thing. What's today's story? And of course, it's a Mike Vecchione story of just the most brutal, depraved thing. Mr. You know, Vecchione, introduce yourself for everybody first. Okay. Well, thank you, Tommy. Happy Easter, and um, I'm happy too. that you had a good day yesterday. And uh, welcome back. Thank you. Um, and my name is Michael Vecchione. And, you know, I thank Tommy for having me back. I, I really enjoy these these visits with him and uh, and with all of your listeners. And um, just for those have, who are new and haven't heard me before, I, I am I've been a, an attorney for well over 40 years. I was a prosecutor for 30 of those. And and the last um, I would say the last 10 or 12 of them I spent as the chief of the the rackets division in the Brooklyn district attorney's office. Before that, I was chief of the homicide bureau and, and chief of trials. So um, as Tommy knows, I have lots of stories and um, not many of them, if any at all are, um, are, are nice stories and uplifting stories. And this certainly isn't one, but I have to tell you, this is one that when I first learned of it, learned of this, uh, this, this potential, uh, investigation. I, I, I was, I couldn't believe it. And I had been around by that point for a very long time. So, yeah, um, it, it sounds like a plan hatched by a, by like a 12 year old. Like that's what, yeah. it, you know, like the idea of like, let's take a wrecking ball to a bank. And like, that's what it sounds like, but right. Right. She actually right. tried it. So tell everybody the story. Okay. So let, let me start a little bit, a little background. When I when we um, when I was in rackets um, and even in the homicide bureau, there were always requirements. It was always necessary to get medical records for cases. 
sometimes medical records to to uh, to investigate witnesses to see, you know, whether or not they were mentally stable and that kind of thing or physically able to do what they were going to do. Other times we would get medical records um, with 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 waivers from uh, from defendants because they were looking for a plea. So they would waive the HIPAA requirement, you know, the HIPAA laws. But um, it was always a, a always like pulling teeth. You know, the hospitals were not necessarily, they didn't work for us. <laughs> they didn't want us uh, to have documents that they had all unless you know there was a, a legal requirement to do it and we had to present them with a warrant or a subpoena so we thought that that it might be better if we appointed a former nurse we had a former nurse who was now an assistant da in the office who um to to who could speak their language so to speak and she became <coughs> excuse me a liaison between the da's office and all of the hospitals in brooklyn and manhattan all around the city to, to facilitate us getting records, getting doctors in to testify, because no matter, no matter how many times you would call them and say, doc, I need you to testify to this. It was always, well, you know, I've got surgery. I've got this, I've got that. Well, getting nurses in, you know, it's the same thing. So we, we needed, we needed one, a person who was one of them, so to speak, to talk their language. And, and she actually set up this whole, you know, this whole uh, uh, program that was working very, very well. And this case came in as a result of this program. There was a, um, a hospital uh, that she had had obviously talked to before about getting records and had set up this, this, um, this facilitation situation with. And she gets a call from, um, I think it might have been the, uh, somebody at the hospital in the security or maybe someone from the higher ups in the hospital. But here's what happened. There was a maintenance man who was a guy who basically, you know, was a porter in the hospital, cleaned the floors, mopped, cleaned up dirty stuff, you know, clean cat collected garbage. And, and he was, he had a friend of his who approached them one day. The friend said, I have this lady who's kind of a friend of mine. Um, and she wants to set up something where she could get dirty used needles from the hospital, 30 used syringes. So the, the, the maintenance guy said to, said to his friend, well, what, what does she want those for? He said, I don't know. I didn't want to ask too many questions. I told her that I had a friend and, um, you know, she'd like to, um, she'd like to talk to you. So he said, well, you know, I'm not, the maintenance guy was, was reluctant. Obviously he didn't know what, what he was getting into. So he, he thought about it and he said, listen, I'll get back to you instead of getting back to the, uh, in addition to getting back to the friend, ultimately he goes to the head of security at the hospital, tells the head of security, this strange approach by his friend and security contacts the liaison to the DA's office who came to me. And um, I said, same thing, basically, well, what does she want this for? So, um, they didn't know. Nobody had any idea what the hell she wanted. So we we um, we set up a phone call, a recorded phone call between the maintenance guy and his friend. And the maintenance guy is now asking the friend, listen, I, I, I spoke to some people and um, it's doable, you know, depending upon, you know, certain situations falling into place, etc. So um, why don't I have the people at the hospital 
because I am a maintenance man. I don't get I don't get rid of medical waste. And that's the medical waste disposal unit that you need to speak to. I'll have someone from there call your friend and uh, and see if, um, you know, call you call you to see if you can arrange make an arrangement. So the, the, the quote unquote friend of this this person, this ultimate defendant said, listen, I don't want to be involved in this either. I, I don't know anything about it. I'll give you her number, this lady's number. It's a woman who, who, was, who wanted the dirty needles. And you can have um, the, the waste disposal person give them a call, give her a call, and they can hook up and deal with each other directly. Okay. Honestly, Tom, that was perfect. That was the perfect situation for us. Because what I did then is I got one of our, the, actually the deputy chief investigator from our office, a guy named George Terra who was a former uh, first grade detective in the, DA's office, in the NYPD. He came to work for us. He used to work undercover. He used to work uh, a lot of mob cases. And, and if you saw him or talked to him, you would, sh- you would be certain that you were talking to some guy who was a member of the Gambino family. He talked like this in Brooklyn. He looked kind of mm-hmm. like a wise guy. He was, <laughs> but he was a great, a great detective. So what we what I planned on doing, I get him down to the office and I say, George, this is what the situation is. And I and I tell him the story. And, and I say, so the maintenance guy, the, the medical waste guy, who we never involved in this at all, um, needs to be played by you. I want you to play that role. And he is the woman's number. You know, give her a call and we'll record the call and we'll see where it goes from there. And he said the same thing to me. He said, Mike, what the, you know, what the fuck is you want this stuff for? What, what's that all about? I said, I, I don't know, but obviously it can't be good. So George calls her and um, they have a recorded conversation. And, the, and they set up, um, oh, the woman says to him, I forgot about that. The woman says, I'm sorry, George says to her, Listen, I, I don't know anything about what you want, but now he's playing the role of a guy who, you know, is kind of a shady guy. He says, but, you know, we can't talk on the phone. That's no good. You know, you never know who's listening kind of thing. So she goes, oh, yeah, 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 I understand. <laughs> so, so he says, um, I'll set up, let's set up a meeting by the, uh, by the hospital. Because she used to visit, I mean, would take her husband to the hot to that hospital and and the maintenance guy worked there and and so it was not a, a far-fetched idea for this this waste disposal guy to want to meet near this this hospital so she said you know there's a park right near the hospital i'll meet you there the next day i don't know 11 11 o'clock i forgot george says um <laughs> so how am i going to know who you are so she tells him she tells him who to look for right i had no idea that what she was going to talk about what she was going to say because i thought she was just some you know some low life i mean yeah she's going to be dressed in a in a mink coat big full-length mink coat and that she would have i forgot she had a scarf on of some kind of uh, she and she described it too and she said it was you know this hermes scarf or whatever so i'm thinking to myself oh man what is this? You know, Corella Deville. So George, he she says to him, "What are you going to be dressed?" In? George says, "I got a gray jacket or a tan jacket. You'll know me when I walk into the park." So George gets there. Um, uh, she gets there early, 
And now what we did was we had a um, we we got we had a bunch of our other detectives in the park, all um, connected to the recording device which we put on George. We put it on him. He was he was going to record the conversation, and we were going to videotape it from a surveillance van which I was in with with some other people. So he she he she walks into the park early and and. There weren't, believe me, Tom, there weren't many people in that park with a full-length mink coat and a Hermes scarf on. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't, un- it wasn't difficult for us to find her. You don't say. And she was about 30 years old. She was gorgeous. I mean, she was beautiful. <laughs> and um, so we said, again, I'm shaking our head. What is this all about? Probably so feels like, a, you guys probably feel like you're getting stung. Well, you know, we could. it could have been, it could have been, you know, things have happened where, yeah. you know, maybe the feds are running. A I was going to say, yeah, you us. guys get oh, stung. That, yeah. That's, that's one of the things that we thought of. And believe it or not, George mentioned that he said, you know, Mike, this may be something, maybe the DEA is running some kind of scam and, and they're using it. They, they think that somebody in our offices, you know, is, um, uh, on is, a, is on a side, on a side note, actually about a year ago, I had on a guy from the ATF and he says they got their wires crossed with the CIA and uh, yeah, yeah, some it domestic, yeah, yeah, it happens. So George showed up late, a little late, like 15 minutes late. She stayed and waited. Well, he gets in the park. He notices her right away, but she, he didn't go over to her right away. She noticed him and she walked over to him. And now they have this recorded, recorded conversation. He says, um, what, what's, what's going on? So she says to him, you know, after I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, you know, uh, thanks for meeting me, all of that little, you know, introductory bullshit, right? George says, um, what she wanted, what, why, what do you, what are you talking, why are you talking to a waste disposal person? So she goes and tells him very bluntly, Tom, I mean, this is all on tape. She said that, um, (laughs) I want to get rid of my husband. I married him for his money and I did it because he had, he has very severe diabetes and he's got a lot of money. And I didn't think that he was going to be around very long. So I married him thinking he was going to die quickly. And she says, he didn't, he's not dying very quickly. And essentially I can't wait anymore. So George says, all right, so what do you, what can I do? She says, I want to buy used dirty needles, syringes from the hospital because I want to give him AIDS. I want to infect him with AIDS. And George says, well, isn't, you know, isn't that going to be strange? What do you mean? Give him injection. She says, no, no, he has diabetes and I am in charge I am his essentially caregiver and I inject him several times a day with his insulin. And I want to use those dirty needles so that he can contract AIDS, kick the bucket. And then I can, I can get his money. (laughs) I tell you, Tom, everybody who listened to this heard it would basically didn't believe it. I mean, we just didn't, this is on, I was, we, you know, I've seen a lot of things and we used to laugh all the time and just simply say it's Brooklyn. You know, it just it's the way it is. But this was 
This was beyond the pale. So George tells her, um, all right, I, I, can, I can arrange that. How much do you want? How many, how much, how many of these things do you want? She says, I want, I got to give them injections, you know, several times a day. So I want as many as you can give me. And then, and don't worry about the money, she says, I'll pay you for all of it. And then next week, you give me a whole, a, a whole bunch more. And then next week, a whole bunch more. So she wanted a steady supply. And he told her, he says, oh, well, you know, no problem. You know, I, there's plenty of needles, plenty of dirty needles. I'm in charge of waste disposal. I can, I can get all of this for you. And she told him what she was going to pay him for it. And I, and I forgot the number, but it was not insignificant. It was, um, you know, it was several thousand dollars for every, you know, every uh, packet, um, uh, every bag of, of needles that he gave her. Might have even been more than several thousand. It might have been as much as 10,000, but, but that's what it was. So clearly she was not playing around. And she made sure she wanted to, she was, she was keeping an eye on Joyce because I want, I'm sure that she was worried about, you know, about getting, uh, if she did get locked up and now why she would thought she would get locked up. But if she did get locked up, she wanted to make sure that, um, you know, that George was the kind of guy who the cops wouldn't rely on as, you know, for, for an arrest because, she started asking him about his background and he says, Oh, I'm a maintenance guy. You know, I've done this, I've done that. And, and, and the background that he gave her was a little bit unsavory, you know? So she, I think felt at that point that even if the cops locked me up, they're never going to be able to make a case with this bum. It's why word against his essentially look at me. I've I'm this from this, I have a prominent husband. I've, I've no record. So what she didn't realize is that, we were audio taping and videotaping the entire operation. Everything was done out in the open time in a park, a small vest pocket park in Brooklyn near this hospital. So we go back to the office. Now he says, he sets up a meet for her for a day or so later. We go back to the office and we, and listened and watched this thing. And, you know, in, in total, you know, when you're in, surveillance van and you're doing this stuff there's a lot of other things you're paying attention to and you don't sometimes you miss some things I and mean, listen to the whole thing and it was um it was incredible i mean just think about the the um the evil that must have been in this woman's head to want to have her husband you know die kill that way she she said it to george that listen i want it to be this way so that Nobody would suspect that it was me that did this because, you know, I had to give him, uh, he, I had to give him the injections. I wanted him to die of age. No one would ever suspect the wife from contracting. I mean, but that kind of sounds, it kind of sounds retarded on her end. At first I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to hire a hitman, wealthy guy dies. Who's the benefactor. It's like, yeah, no, if he gets AIDS, that's definitely uh, muddying the waters, but it's like, but you do the injections yeah except that he got injections except that he was the kind of guy who was at the hospital all the time you know so he Uh, had this the severe diabetes so he wasn't the only one she wasn't the only one giving him quote-unquote injections maybe she was giving him the insulin injections but you know and and that was let's see um it wasn't such a far-fetched idea for him to have contracted it Okay. Because of of his, you know, the, because of the reoccurrence of him going 
going to the hospital. So um, George said that he, he, again, he would be able to get all she needed. So now when we came back to the office, we listened to this whole thing. We figured, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get these dirty syringes, right? I mean, they're not something which we were going to start digging through the hospital trash to get. So what we did was we went to a, um, we went to a pharmacy and we bought um, a whole box full of syringes. And George, George is very good at this stuff. And we he had the idea of brewing up a, um, a, a kind of a whole pot of tea, amber colored tea and um, filling the syringe with the tea. And then we got tomatoes and we injected the tea into the tomatoes and the tea stained the inside of the syringe so that it would look like it was a dirty syringe, a dirty, you know, the, 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 the peat the part, part yeah. there. Um, not the needle itself, but the, the syringe part, the top yeah. where the medicine goes. Um, so she, we didn't think that, you know, she would be able to detect this. She's going to get a bag full of this crap at the park. She's going to take it home and she's going to hide it. She wasn't going to go and bring it to some, some scientist to see whether or not the guy at the hospital had screwed her and, yeah. and sold her, you know. So um, it, it fooled her. It fooled her. It was, um, you know, it, it was the, it was the, the, the authenticity of this device, these, these, these devices, the syringes that I really think kind of brought this home. I mean, if you think about it, if she just wants these needles and we showed up with a bunch of needles that we just opened from the pharmacy and threw them into a bag and that wasn't going to work. Right. I mean, it would be, she would be able to detect whether it was new. Right. So, um, we, we did it that way. And, you know, the thing is that we didn't arrest her right away. We could have as in a, on an attempted murder, but it was, it would have been a weak case at that point until she had the actual device in her hands that she was going to use to, to kill her husband. And the other thing was we also kind of tossed around at the office, whether or not we should alert the husband because, um, you know, when, when you get word of somebody wanting to kill a, a citizen, the obli our obligation is to go out there and warn them. Yeah. Um, but here's what we thought. We didn't think it was, it was um, necessary at that point because she hadn't gotten the, um, she hadn't gotten the devices yet. She didn't have the weapons, so to speak. So the husband was still, was, was safe. He wasn't, um, he wasn't, he wasn't going to get injected with any dirty needles until we we sold them to to the wife. So so we kind of let this thing play out, you know, and, and the next day or the day after George meets her at the park and um, hands her the, the bag of, of this stuff. And she checks it out, you know, and um, and she uh, she had a, some, you know, forgot what she said. This is great. Uh, you know, I. I, it's been too much. I can't stand, essentially, I can't stand being with this guy anymore. I mean, think about it. She married him for his money, thinking he was going to die right away. And, and he, he lived. Oh, my on. God. It's unbelievable. I, I, it's, every time I talk about this case, I think about how evil this woman was. I mean, and just, uh, just, just, 
just unbelievable. So, um, so George hands are the hands are the bag of, of these dirty needles with the stained with the, with the tea that we had from injecting the tomatoes back at the office. And um, she looks in, gives George the money and begins to, uh, to walk away. And she says to him, um, she says, okay, when, you know, when should we, when are we going to meet you again? I'll, I'll meet you here next week. Same time. Same. He says, um, I don't think so. And she says, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You don't think so. We had a deal, you know, you're, you're going to, you, you're supposed to meet me and we're going to do this until, you know, until I tell you that we don't have to do it anymore. He goes, you don't understand lady. <laughs> you're under arrest. And he takes out a shield and shows her the shield. And any other guys in the park surround her so she can't go anywhere. I think, Tom, you know, to, to use a very crude expression, she shit a brick. I tell you, she really, <laughs> she, she was scared out of her mind. So that was, um, that was not really the end of this, this saga. So she goes, um, she gets arrested. We bring her back to the office and the detectives take over and they process her. And, um, and in Brooklyn, anywhere, everywhere in Manhattan at that, uh, I'm sorry, everywhere in New York city at that time. And even today, after the processing is done, fingerprinting, photographing, all of the paperwork, everything, the next step is to bring the defendant to criminal court for an arraignment. And the arraignment is very simple. All it is, is to alert and to inform the, the defendant and his or her attorney of the charges against her that are written in a, in a criminal complaint by the DA's office. And, uh, and to ask them whether or not, ask her in this case, whether or not she pleads guilty or not guilty. So, um, and then after that, bail is set, if there's going to be bail set, right? <laughs> so she appears in criminal court probably this was in the afternoon she probably got to the criminal court sometime after the dinner break probably like nine ten o'clock at night because court closes at that point was closing at midnight so who do you think was sitting in the first row waiting for this case to be called the husband the husband showed up bail was set who do you think posted the bail this is the saddest part of the whole thing the husband the husband, the husband <laughs> could not, would not accept, would, would not accept the fact that this woman wanted to have him killed and was part of this whole conspiracy to kill this guy. Um, he posted the bail, even though it was high bail, he posted it and gave an interview, I think later on to, um, to uh, to an to the I forgot it was the post or the news and he said I can't um, I can't believe that my wife would do this I don't believe this he didn't didn't care that we had the entire thing on videotape audio tape it was just denial now think about it this guy was probably an old guy had diabetes, depended on this beautiful woman to take care of him. And he had her around the house. I, I didn't find necessarily his reaction to this whole thing all that far out because um, I, I think he probably, you know, he probably oh, didn't, care. didn't care. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Which is. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. it was just kind of the craziest, but it's 
also kind of maybe the most believable part. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, he's probably not stupid. He's probably like, I know exactly what this is. I'm an old guy. This girl is out of everyone's league. She's with me. I know she wants the money. He's probably like, he's probably just like, baby, you should have asked me. I would have written you a bigger allowance. Like she's probably cheating on him. He knows she knows. He knows she knows. He's probably just like, yeah, whatever you want. Or he's, or he's a real freak. He's turned on by it. Well, either way, it's crazy because, but he was going to hang on for dear life. He wasn't going to let this babe, you know, walk out of his life for this. Plus, plus, she, he, he may have figured that, um, you know, at the end of the day, she's going to get convicted and go to jail. So I'll pretend at this point that, you know, I love her and everything is cool. But once she's gone, then I'll have nothing to do with her and I'll cut her out and, you know, divorce and she'll be, that'll be the end of her. Or that's his, but, pun- yeah. Or that's his yeah. true punishment for her. Yeah. He's going to yeah. string her along and she's not going to be in the will. <laughs> but as you probably figured, that was not the case. A year, about a year passes. And at that time, it was not a long period of time. It was it was really between an arrest and a trial. Took sometimes a year to do it. So she was very lucky that she was out, you know, on bail, because otherwise she would have spent that entire year behind bars in right on Rikers Island. And um, and it's not a pleasant situation to be in. So a year later, she um the case is now up for trial and I assigned it to someone else to try it. And um, (laughs) with with, who do you think was in court every time we ever had the case on was her husband. And at the, on the day that the trial was supposed to start with her husband's full support, she pleads guilty to the, to the case. She pleads guilty. So you would think that, you know, that's a that's a, a very, very big risk to run because there's no doubt now that she is guilty. A judge has the only thing the judge has to do now is to figure out a sentence he's going to give her. And with an attempted murder that carries a sentence of 25, 25, uh, 25 years as the as the top, you know, as the, the maximum sentence. But it, it it is you could get the low end of the scale if you didn't have a record. And she was going to get a considerable, she had, she ran the risk of getting a considerable sentence in terms of this case, but she pleads guilty, right? So now the sentence is set up for about three weeks later after she pled guilty. And the judge allowed her to, to remain on bail for that period of time. And she comes into court. And as part of the sentencing procedure in New York, still to this day, the victim has a chance to make a victim impact statement. And in the normal course of events, in a normal trial, you usually get the mother of the deceased or the, the, the father sure. or the sister or the brother to break down and, you know, you took this away, you took him away from us, you did, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's heartbreaking. It really yeah. is. And, uh, and believe it or not, Tom, it does have a it does have an effect on the judge, you know, when and it has an effect on everybody in the courtroom who's listening to this, because it brings the kind of the, the re, it brings reality to the situation when and, I, and I've I've tried a lot of murder cases. And, and one of the things that you have to concern yourself with as a prosecutor in a murder case is that the jury will never see the victim. 
We'll never have a chance to bond with the victim. We'll never have a chance to understand the victim and who that is. But they see the defendant every single day. Yeah. And you worry about Stockholm syndrome, you know, about whether or not the jury is going to to find some way to kind of connect to this person. And at the end of the day, say, well, you know, I, I don't think I've seen him every day. I don't know if I I can send him to jail for the rest of his life. I don't know. Maybe we should. Anyway, that's what the issue is. So in this situation, when you get a sentence like this, they, they this woman took the the question, you know, the the uh, uh, uncertainty out of the whole thing by pleading guilty. Right. She pleads guilty. And now she essentially throws herself on the mercy of the court. And who's the judge now going to listen to? <laughs> the prosecutor, of course. The defense attorney, of course, because he, he or she made a, makes a statement. But the victim now is going to stand up and make a statement as to what the victim believes this woman, his former wife, or now wife, I'm sorry, not former wife, should get. He essentially breaks down in court and tells the judge that he loves her. He's always loved her that he, she, he's no matter what people say about her, she, he's certain that she loves him and that there must be some misunderstanding. There must've been some issue. And, um, and he pleads for, with the judge for mercy for this woman who was going to kill him and not a simple death time. A death that would have taken months, if not years, to ultimately happen. And he would suffer every damn day with this this horrific disease. He asks the judge to essentially not sentence her to jail. It was mind-boggling. But when this case came in, it was mind-boggling. The ending was as mind-boggling as the beginning. It, it, It was... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's honest. It's it's just sad. Like, here's a guy that's like, oh, he's either completely delusional, or this is truly all he wanted is just some sort of companionship. Yes, it's right. He said he never would believe. Yeah. No matter what this, no matter what the evidence was, he would never believe or accept the fact that this woman who he loved wanted to do this to him and was engaged in this conspiracy to kill him. Well, I'm, I mean, he, he begged, essentially yeah. begged the judge to, to listen to him and to give her a break. I, I don't remember who the judge was, but the judge listened. He sentenced her to probation. Five years probation, no jail time. Not even a day. The amount of time that she spent in jail was when we arrested her to when the husband bailed her out, which was probably at most eight hours, 10 hours. And some of that time was spent in the cell at the DA's office, which is not Rikers Island by any stretch of the imagination. And then the cell behind the courtroom, behind the judge's bench in the courtroom, which is the same thing, not not Rikers Island. So he listened to her. So this... I, I, I always wonder, you know, and, and, and I've written about this case um, and I thought about it. And, and I, I, I think, you know, sometimes when you sit back and you, you think about things that have gone on or you talk to friends and talk about crazy cases, this case comes up. 
And I always wonder, when do, I, where are they now kind of thing? You know, where is this woman? And um, where is the husband? I, I, I have to believe it would not, I should say this, it would not surprise me if I found out that she, she found some other way to, 100%. to get rid of this guy, you know? I, 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 she was, if she was that cold hearted, yeah, she was going to do that and, to him. And now she knows he's completely delusional. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and the only way, the only thing that I think might stop her if it does, if it did, and I'm not sure that, you know, what happened is that perhaps with the fact that she had been arrested and had been charged with trying to do this before, if the guy suddenly winds up dying of something of, of, you know, he falls down the stairs in his, in his house or something of that nature. Well, maybe she'd believe the cops were going to be right on her, on her ass. But I, I, I can't imagine that she just gave up this idea because um, if she was that much of a gold digger back then, I, I don't think that goes away. I don't think you get cured no. of that. No. Maybe you settle down for a year or so or listen and hope that the guy dies. <laughs> but um but but if he doesn't, then you're back in the same situation. So um, so but I, I have to say that it was uh, it was not the longest investigation. It took only a few days. It was not the uh, you know, the it, it was, however, one of the most heinous investigations in terms of what you wanted to do that I had ever heard. I mean, I, I just was shocked that we did it. And she was so stupid in terms of I shouldn't say stupid, I should say arrogant about how open she was. I mean, think about this. She doesn't know, first of all, the maintenance guy that her friend supposedly knows. She doesn't know the, um, this, this, this person who shows up is supposed to be the medical waste uh, disposal person. She doesn't know either one of them, but she didn't care. She was that arrogant and decided that she was just going to do this. I mean, she was, I guess, either desperate or, or just a, uh, a cold-hearted sociopath. You know, or just a, a dumb rich bitch. Yeah, my, uh, my words, dumb, right? my words, not yours. No, well, let me just let me just tell you one, just a, a tangential, not tangential to this, but kind of a similar thing with the same kind of thought process. When I was a defense attorney, I had a, I, I did a trial, and um, and I, I won the trial, and um, and one of the jurors came up to me after the trial is over and said, you know, I want to, I want to congratulate you. You know, you you're terrific. Blah blah blah. Can I have your card? If I ever get into trouble or if any of my friends ever get into trouble, I, I want, you know, I want to have your card. So I gave it to him. Sure enough, about six months later, I get, I get a call from a woman who um, is a teacher. She was a, um, I think an, a, an art teacher in a middle school in Brooklyn. Middle school is like junior high school. <coughs> and she says, um, she says, uh, I'm in trouble. I need, I need your help. I said, okay, how did you find me? And she tells me at the juror, had told her about, about me. So she, I get her into the office and, and I, this is what her crime was. She was a school teacher. She had a degree, obviously she had a, a degree in education. She had been a school teacher for a, a good period of time. She owned property in Brooklyn and she owned several apartment houses in one particular apartment house. She had this tenant who was just in her mind, in her head was just hor horrific. Used to do things to the apartment. Used to not pay his rent on time. Just a, a very, very bad tenant. So I said, "Okay, so what happened?" He said, "Well, I, I didn't have money for a lawyer, so I, I couldn't begin eviction proceedings. So there was a guy over doing some maintenance work 
in the building. And I started telling him about this, about this, this, this tenant. And the maintenance guy said to her, I know someone who could take care of this. She says, what do you mean to take care of it? Um, no, she said to him, do you know anybody who could take care of this? So the, main, the painter says to her, well, what do you mean? Take care of this. She says, well, I, I, I want him. I want him dead. I want to kill him. Get him out. That'll get him out of my, get him out of my hair. So he says, yeah, you know, I got somebody who I think I can set you up with. Well, it turns out the painter was a confidential informant for the police department. And he went to a detective, went to the detective who was his, his, um, his, his handler, told him the story. And the painter introduces the landlady to the, to the cop who, we, who pretends to be a, a, a hitman. And the cop says, um, well, I need to find out what this guy's about. What is his name? Bring a picture, bring all of the stuff. So she does. And he's, they meet in the detective's car. His, he says it was his private car. Tom, there is no better place to record a, uh, a confession or a statement like this than in a car. Because you roll up the windows, mm -hmm. there's no noise. It's self-contained. There's no outside. It's just fantastic. And he and she told him the entire story about this guy and what she wanted done. And here's the kicker. <laughs> She's, she says, oh, and by the way, when it's done, I don't, I don't want you to bring me his keys or a shoe or yeah. a tie. She says, I want you to cut off his ear and bring his ear to me to show me that you he's dead. Tom, this is a New York City school teacher who, if you saw her, would think that butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. I was, my jaw dropped. I said, did what? She said, I told him I wanted an ear. I didn't want him to bring me his keys or anything like that. And I said, and this, and she says, but you know, Mr. Vecchione, um, it's all on tape. I said, oh, my God. I said, how do you how do you believe you're gonna? We, how, what are we gonna do? Well, as it turns out, I listened to the tape. Tom, she was dead. She was dead on the tape. I was able to believe it or not. I was able to get the DA's office to to give her a, a plea bargain. She got less than a year in jail. Um, had obviously got fined and all this other kind of stuff. But <clears throat> I think, and she lost her job, of course. And um, and I'm sure that her tenants, once they found out what was going on, they probably all moved. You know, there was probably a mass uh, exodus from her apartment building. But the thought this is the reason I brought this up is that you think about the mentality of this woman with the dirty needles and this woman who's the landlady. It was their solution to their problem was not going to a court to get a divorce for the for the woman or get a, an eviction for the landlady. No, it, the first thought was, let me take the easy way out and murder the person who's creating this stuff. I, it, it boggled my mind when I heard that. And, and then later on, I, that happened in that case the, with the landlady took place before I came back to the, off, the DA's office and, and they dealt with this, this wife. And, and you know, Tom, I gotta tell you, it's, that's the only case, it's not the only case that I've had when I was in rackets of uh, a spouse wanting to dispose of or kill uh, another spouse. And one, there was a guy who was a doctor and he wanted his wife killed. He wanted her, her his father-in-law killed. He wanted his mother-in-law killed. He wanted her sister killed. And um, 
we used George again as a, as the, as the hitman. He posed as a hitman a lot for, for us. And, um, but uh, those, those kinds of cases were, were disturbing. I mean, obviously interesting, but when you think about man's inhumanity to his fellow man, that's, that was to me, those were the cases were the personification of that. So. um, And on that note, Mr. Vecchione with a a happy post Easter story about ice cold bitches. Um, As I told you, I got to run. I got another guest. Yes. yes. All your books as always will be in the description and the new book that you're working on will be coming out this spring or this summer. Well, Um, let me just, can I just, you got a minute to give you an update. Sure. The book is supposed to have been out already. I get a call from the publisher two weeks ago. And I ask, and I say to him, Edward, what's going on? When's the book coming out? He goes, Mike, I'm sorry to tell you, but the printer called him that day and told him that it won't, it won't be able to be printed until August of this year. Why? The printer had no paper. The supply chain issue had caught up to the printer and he did not have the paper to print the book. So... So I can thank Mr. Sleepy Joe. On an uh, interruption. Yes. Of the book. Well, anyway, so that's it. But, you know, Tom, I finished the other. I finished the the one about the I told you about the devil and the prosecutor uh finished it two days ago. I'm in the process of editing it. So that might ultimately come out before the book that I wrote last year because of this supply chain issue. Um, Beautiful. I never thought it would hit me. I never thought that that would hit me directly, but it there it was right it, square and comes line. for everybody. Yeah. And uh, well, All right. Mike, send me a text so I don't forget to reschedule you. And I will. Um, I will. And as always, thank you so much for coming back on, man. Okay. Thank you All very right. much yeah. for having me. Have a God good bless. Day. Thank you so much. Take care, man. Bye bye. Peace. Yep.